Joshua. Book of Joshua. I'm loving the book. Aren't you loving the book? Now, I know what you did last week. You, you read chapter 14, and you went home, and, and you studied chapter 14, and you said, wow, what an amazing chapter. And then I know being aggressive like you are, you went ahead and read chapter 15, didn't you? Just shake your head. I know you did. I know you read chapter 15, and you went, oh, no. This is the most boring chapter I've ever seen in my life. Close. Go to Leviticus. It's, it's much worse. Anyways, you went to 15. You said, this is just a list of the boundaries of the Holy Land. This is just the boundaries. Why are we going to read the boundaries? And then you went through the end, and it's a list of cities. How boring is that? What you didn't see, what you didn't see, because everybody reads the opening of the book, and they read the end of the book. Nobody reads the middle. Smack in the middle is Joshua 15, 13. Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 through 15 is where we're going to start. We're only going to do a few verses today. We're only doing 13 through 19 in total. But right here, courage moves us to victory is what I want to talk about. Because you know what? In battle, to the victor goes the spoils, right? When you are victorious, you reap the benefit. Say amen, because it's the truth. You work hard, you get your paycheck, amen? You clean your room and your mama don't hit you in the back of the head, amen? Your children brush their teeth and you praise God because they're getting there, amen? Think about this. To the victor goes to spoils. Well, that means it's courage that moves us to victory. How many of you would say, I am a courageous man of God? Shake your head because I know you are, brother. I see you staring at me. Give me them eyes. Ladies, you faced pregnancy and you gave birth. That takes courage. One woman says amen. What, the rest of y'all never had kids? If you gave birth and spent 38 hours in groaning and digging your nails into your husband's hand, you know it. It takes courage to come to that place of victory. Look at this, Joshua 15, 13 through 15. He gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the following portion among the descendants of Judah based on the Lord's instruction to Joshua. Kirith Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. <laughs> See, he was a Filipino. You didn't know that, did you? There he was. Okay, Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahimen, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. From there he marched against the inhabitants of Debir, whose name was Kirith Sefer. I'm going to stop right there. Most people would blow through that and not even take a chance to look at it. There's some amazing stuff here. Does anybody recognize the name of Hebron? Caleb goes and he, he attacks this place called Kirith Arba, named because Arba was the father of Anak. Anak was the father of the Anakim. Remember who the Anakim are? I told you last week. The giants. These are the nine-footers. These are the ones that make Shaquille O'Neal feel small. These were big people, huge. These were the giants in the land, okay? We know they were real. As I've told you, if you go to Hungary, to the train museum, you will see a 14-foot skeleton found while they were digging the railroad tracks in Hungary. 14 feet. The nine-footers were short. It's the 14-foot guys you had to worry about. That's the scary stuff. Here's the thing. He went to this city, and he killed the last three sons, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai. These were the mighty men. These were the ones that everybody was afraid of. 
Now, if you are five foot seven, which Caleb might have been, would you be afraid of somebody who was 10 feet tall, 11 feet tall, 12 feet tall? Heck, you'd be afraid of some guy that was seven foot tall. I'm afraid of seven foot tall people. Huge. Yet he showed great courage. He believed that God would give him the city, so he took it. Is there anything that God has ever called you to do that you've been afraid to do? Share Christ with a friend. Share Christ at the library. You know, Miss Sharon goes to the library every week, and she sits in front of the library for one reason. She's not a great book lover because, you know, she never goes in the library. She sits out front. People sit down, they talk to her. And every time she talks to people, she leads them to Christ. She leads them around to Jesus, and she shares her faith. Is it her responsibility to see them one to Christ? No. It's her responsibility to share her faith, and that's what she does. She got inspired to do that because of our Bible study on Tuesday night. Is there anything that you are afraid to do? Is there anything that God has ever put in your life that you're afraid to do? Then you need to learn from Caleb. You can't win until you have courage. Courage leads to victory, but courage only comes from one place. That is from the Lord. You ever had the courage to go against your friends? To say, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to go there. No, I don't want to visit that website. No, I don't want to hear that dirty joke. No, I don't want to listen to that nasty rap music. Not that I'm picking on rap music, but by and large, it's nasty. Okay, I didn't write the stuff. I just, I've heard it. Have you ever had the curse to say no to your friends? To say no to those people who are around you because you refuse to be conformed to their likeness? See, he didn't do that. Look at the city he won, Hebron. Anybody know what Hebron was? Anybody ever heard of a guy named David? Son of Jesse. Second king of Israel. Anybody remember where David's capital city was? And don't say Jerusalem, or I have to preach a sermon on that. Hebron was the first capital of the Israeli empire under David. That was the capital city, not Jerusalem. Caleb took what would become the capital city. If he didn't win it, it wouldn't be there for David to reign from. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Okay, I, I believe I heard this story a while back. I always confuse Billy Graham and D.L. Moody. One of them went to a shoe store to have a pair of shoes fitted to his feet. And one of them went in and sat down, and there was a guy sitting there, and he was measuring the guy's feet. And he started telling him about Jesus. And I'm pretty sure it was Billy Graham, but it might have been D.L. Moody. He led that person to Christ. No one knows his name. God knows his name. The Lord knows who he is, because he led one of the greatest evangelists in history to Christ. And that person went on to become a great soul winner. Both D.L. Moody and Billy Graham were incredible soul winners. But that start came from a shoe salesman who was not ashamed of Christ, shared the faith, took the capital city from which flowed an incredible revival. Think about it. How would the guy who led, say, Billy Graham to faith, how would that guy feel as he watched Billy Graham preach to the nations? I took that. God used me to lead him to faith. 
See, when you win someone to Jesus, you don't know what's going to happen with that life. You don't have to know. God knows why he put you there. You are not here by accident. Amen? You are here because God brought you here. He might have used somebody else to drag you along. He might have used your mama to twist your ear. He, he, you, maybe you didn't want to get up this morning. You were tired from yesterday. It was 102 yesterday. I was tired. This morning, my wife poked me to get up. I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You have to go get the pastor. I don't want to go. Call Lenny. I got up anyways. You know, once you get moving, you're okay. Here's the thing. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, Talmai, the descendants of the giants. And from there he marched against the inhabitants of Debir, whose name was Kirith Sefer. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 says this. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with our own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Do you get that? He said to them, you know how we conducted ourselves. We encouraged you. Encouragement is that. When you are down, somebody encourages you to keep going. Don't worry about that failure. It's going to get better. Comforted you. Sometimes when we fail, when others turn against us, when people gossip behind our backs, don't let that defeat you. If you work in an office environment, and you are a believer, people will gossip about you. I guarantee it. I worked at the University of Houston. Career services, I know people gossip behind your back. Guess what? Most of them go to church somewhere. Does it matter? No, it don't matter. Because you are not here on this earth to please other people. You are here to please the Lord, your God. So if anybody else don't like it, too bad. If you are walking worthy of the Lord, if you are walking worthy of your calling, if you are doing what the Lord called you to do, it doesn't matter what other people think. That's what he's writing in 1 Thessalonians. We encouraged you, we comforted you, and then we implored, we begged you to walk in the way that God has called you. If someone doesn't like it, you know what the problem is? They're not walking worthy, and they hate the fact that you are. Anybody have a heart attack and I didn't know about it? Okay, just making sure. I always hate those things when I hear them. Anyways, that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians. You have to be strong. You go off to college. You will be faced with decisions that you've never had to make before. Paul and Judy have a whole new world opening up to them. And believe me, every temptation that Satan ever cooked up, he's going to throw at you and throw at you this year. So I am encouraging you. You can cry on my wife's shoulder. It's okay. I implore you, beg you, walk like a believer because people will see how you live. He said, you saw how we lived. Now you live like that. You be so consumed with serving God, you won't have time to pay attention to other people. It's like, it's like Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, they, they, they say, oh, well, he should have done this. He should have done this. 
He should have done that. Well, if you know so much, why aren't you in the game? Preach it. Why aren't you doing it if you know how to do it so well? The only people that talk are those who can't. And guess what? Every believer is called to do it, not talk about it. Amen? Don't let other people wear you down. You stand up and be what God called you to be. That's how Caleb took this city. He took the city because God said he could. Other people said, you can't. They're giants. He said, guess what? I trust God, not you. Amen? That applies to everybody in this room because every one of us have faced that situation either last week or last month. It's been years since I worked at the University of Houston, 13 years. And I still remember how people tried to undermine you, how to cut your legs out. But guess what? Didn't work, still standing. All right, let's move on. So courage moves us to victory. And our courage comes from our faith, and our faith is in God. So Joshua 15, 16 and 17. If courage moves us to victory, then courage inspires courage in others. It encourages courage in others. Because you know what? If one person says, I can't do it, then they won't do it either. You know what I mean, if a person says, I can't do this, then my fear causes other people to be afraid. Let's take a look at it. Joshua 15, 16, and 17. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter, Aksha. Great name for a daughter, by the way. If you're going to have a girl, Aksha is a wonderful name. I will give my daughter, Aksha, as wife to the one who strikes down and captures Kirith Saphir. So Othniel, another great name for a boy. Othniel, son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, captured it. And Caleb gave his daughter, Aksha, to him as a wife. We're going to stop right there because that is a Bible study all by itself. You might think, oh, it's just two verses. How can that be a Bible study? Let me tell you something. Whenever you see people in the Bible and they do weird things, check out their names. Check out their names. Othniel means the force of God. Okay, what does that tell you about this guy? This guy was powerful. The force of God, that was his name. That was the name given him. Othni, power, El, El Shaddai, force. I mean, the, the God himself. So the force of God. Aksha's name is different. You know what her name means? Ladies, how many of you have an anklet on? Her name means anklet. It means tiny. It means delicate. It means beautiful. Now, if you look at a guy like Othniel, the force of God, the power of God. You would think he would want to match him up with a woman like Broomhilda, which means, you know, the force that destroys the force, you know, whatever. But her name means anklet, something small, delicate, and beautiful. But together, it's an interesting thing. So Caleb does exactly what King Saul did. Remember what happened when King Saul was faced with Goliath? Any man that kills Goliath gets my daughter. Remember that one? That, that wasn't such a good trade. She was not the best of wives, but it's okay. It was, that was David's issue. David steps forward. He takes Goliath out because of the power of God, and he gets to marry the king's daughter. Now, what does that mean for Saul? Saul gave his daughter to the man who was mighty enough to defeat 
the biggest foe that Israel had ever faced. So there's a political mindset there. I'm going to get a man for my daughter who is powerful, strong, and obedient to the Lord, right? So he's thinking about this providing for his daughter, but also, too, he wants somebody in the family that he can trust in and rely upon. So Caleb's the same way. How old is Caleb from last week? 85. Caleb's 85 years old. He knows that nobody lives over 120, because that's the limit God set on people's lives. He said, he said 120 is the limit. So he's 85. God's given him 15 years of grace beyond 70. He has captured Hebron. He's taken the capital city, defeated the three sons of Anak. But now he has to think about the future. Now he's coming up against this incredible city. Okay? He's come up to this place that says, wow, how am I going to take Kirith Saphir? Oh, by the way, do you know what Kirith Saphir means? This is cool. City of the book or the city of libraries. So this was a place where all the wisdom of the Canaanites, where all of the books were stored, where all the knowledge of, this, of the area was stored. There was a lot of things in here that would be of use to a wise ruler, to a wise king. So he says, if anyone can take this city, I will give him my daughter, you know, the anklet, to be his wife. What's he doing it for? Because Caleb knows he can't go on forever. And he wants a man for his daughter who is worthy of his daughter. She is, this is his, this is his anklet. This is his beautiful, tiny little girl. And he wants to make sure that the man that marries her is worthy of her. But he also wants someone to come along after him who's going to defend her and also to defend the cities that they've taken. So he's going to make provision. And so the very fact that at 85, Caleb takes the capital cities, right? He takes, he takes the first city, he defeats the three sons of Anak. His courage inspires others to follow along. Remember when Saul tried that, it didn't work very good, did it? You ever wonder why nobody had the courage to follow Saul and try to take out Goliath and try to win? I mean, think about it. The God of Israel was the God of Israel. If Saul was a godly king and Saul loved the Lord and Saul was walking according to the Lord, wouldn't the Lord give his champion victory? Yes. So the very fact that nobody would try for the king's daughter, nobody except David, should tell you a lot about who Saul was as a man. Gentlemen, I, I ask you this. Are you setting the standard for your children by which they will measure everybody else in their life? I mean, my daughter already knows that the man she brings home someday, after she gets her master's and has her own company, <laughs> the man she brings home has to meet one standard, me. So that's virtually impossible. So it could be a long way for her. But here's the thing. I don't want her to marry me because nobody should do that except my wife. She needs to marry a man and have a high enough standard that she won't take anything less. Ladies, have you set a standard in your life for the men that you allow to come close to you? Have you set a standard and you said, I will accept nothing less than this standard that God has set in my life? Gentlemen, have you done the same thing? 
Have you set a standard for the women that you go out with to be sure that those women measure up to the standard of God's people? See, that's the standards we need to set. The courage that Caleb had in attacking the city inspired the courage that Othniel had to attack also because he saw that God was with him. Now, none of us here are going to go out and attack cities, I hope. I mean, nobody here plans on besieging Durham, do they? I mean, no walls to topple over there. But in the same way, we need to set standards for our lives. And that standard is this. I want my daughter to marry a conqueror, to marry a man who trusts in the Lord, to marry a man who is fearless when it comes to serving God. Ladies, if you have sons, do you pray that they will find women worthy of their walk with the Lord? That's what Caleb was doing. You see, two little verses that people just blow by, but there's so much there. There's so much in the example. He wasn't just thinking about the future. He wasn't just thinking about taking the city. He wanted the right kind of man for his little anklet, for his little daughter. And he had taught his daughter to expect nothing less than a man of courage, a man of war, and a man of God. And that's the standard we need to set for ourselves and for our families. Because they will rise to the standard that we set or they will sink to the standard that we allow in our lives. Amen? Okay, I want you to just look at that. Consider Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. Who can find a capable wife? Okay, good. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack any good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. Here's the thing. Those of us who are married, that decision is made. Gentlemen, are we a blessing to our families? Are we content to do nothing less than the best for them, to lead them to the cross, to lead them in Bible study, to teach them the word of God? Are we going to be like Othniel and Caleb to our wives and our children? Ladies, have you risen above the standard of the gossiping, backstabbing hags that live in this country? Okay, I'm sorry. There's a reason why I don't allow soap operas in my house. Because soap operas portray the worst, most abysmal kind of women in the world. I'm sorry, it's true. When I lived in Taiwan, we used to watch Taiwanese soap operas. Oh my gosh. Nobody could be that horrible. And then I went to the Philippines, and I watched their soap operas, and I went, oh, gosh, it's worse. Okay? Fortunately, fortunately, I saw Korean soap operas, and y'all are safe. They took the bottom. <laughs> Whoa, it's terrible. And here's the thing. Soap operas have a way of getting in your head and making you think that's the way the world is. Soap operas make us think that the conniving woman behind the scenes who's constantly manipulating her children's lives, that that's the way it should be. It's not. It's not what a godly woman does. Guys, all the... I mean, have you ever watched soap operas, guys? I mean, I know you don't, but here we go. Here we go. The men in soap operas are the biggest bunch of weenies I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. They are useless. 
Men in soap operas are dumb, and they're lazy, they're bums, and their wives run their lives. Okay, they got that part right. But seriously, is that the example that we set for our children and for our families? No, it's the Othniels and the Aksas. It's the Caleb's that we set as the example, and we don't allow any other example to exist. The Word of God is like a surgical instrument. It cuts into our lives. It says, you know what? This is the stuff you have to get rid of. And it does that for a reason. When a surgeon cuts into a person's body with a surgical instrument, he does it to remove tumors, to remove cancer, or to heal up wounds. That's what the Word of God does. But before it can heal you, it has to cut out the stuff that does not please God. And what happens in American life? I mean, why is it that people watch reality TV shows? Because they don't have lives. Because they pick the worst, most miserable people to put on those shows. I know I'm stepping on everybody's toes, and that's great. I love that part. Okay, that's how it really is. I mean, I watch it sometimes. I get about five minutes in, and I can't take it. I have like a stroke or something. It just it gives me seizures. Because nobody should live like that. Nobody should talk like that. Go on the internet. People make videos of themselves that show this is how low a person can go. This is how many swear words you can have in a single video. This is how ignorant you can show yourself to be. And they're proud of it. Why? All you're doing is displaying to the whole world how low you can get. You know, how low you can go is great in the limbo. Not in life. Courage inspires. Capitulation does the same thing. If, you, if we give in every time, if we cave into pressure, if we cave into somebody else's opinion, if we cave into how everybody else does things, then we are not victorious. We are defeated and we are enslaved. We can only be faithful to who God calls us to be. Someone says, well, I don't like the way you play the bass. Huh, do you think I care? I don't like the way you lead worship. She doesn't care. She does a great job, amen? <laughs> we'll pray for that side of the room. We do what we do in response to God's call. We don't limit ourselves to everybody else's opinion. Now, if you're going out getting drunk every night and shooting guns at people, that's a problem. and we can, That's separate. We can deal with that. But if you're being faithful to God's call, be faithful to God's call. If the pagan neighbors who are worshiping black cats and sacrificing things at night with candles, don't worry about their opinion. You know, when we lived in Montana, there were multiple witches' covens all around us. They didn't like me very much. And that pleased me to no end. Every, every, every Halloween I preached on witchcraft. And every Halloween, things went wrong in the community because we had so many witches. But you got to stand up for what you believe. you got to stand up for what's right. Because this courage inspires. And here it is. He says it. So Othniel, son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, captured it, and Caleb gave his daughter, Aksha, to him as wife. Now remember I told you in Proverbs, a good wife, a great wife, <coughs> like mine, brings blessing to her husband? Read Joshua 15, 18, and 19. 
Courage has its rewards. Guys, you need to underline all of this because this is good stuff. Courage has its rewards. When she, being Aksa, when she arrived, she persuaded Othniel. Guys, you like that word? She persuaded. She helped him to reason it out. We're not saying she twisted his arm. She just helped him to understand. She persuaded Othniel to ask her father for a field. No big deal. As she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, here's a dad. This is a dad right here. What do you want? She's she's married, and she's coming on a donkey. She must want something. He knows it. It's a dad thing. We have radar. She replied, give me a blessing. And he's like, oy vey. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me the springs of water also. Underline that. That is so critical. Nobody gets that. Nobody gets that. So he gave her the upper and lower springs. If you've ever been to Israel, it is an arid place. Not a whole lot of water, not like, you know, oceans or anything. Here's the thing. In the desert, what does life consist of? Water. Where there's water, there's irrigation. When there's irrigation, there's food. If you have food and water, you're good to go. Because you can water the goats, use their skins for clothes and shelter and everything else. No water, no life. So yes, he gives Aksa to Othniel. Then she says, hey, ask dad for a good piece of land. And she probably pointed out the piece of land that she wanted. Because you see, she's a smart woman. She is her father's daughter. Guys, here's a hint. If you want to know what your wife's going to look like in 20 years, take a good look at her mother. If you want to know how she works things through in her mind, if you want to know how she does business, look at her father. I'm not joking, guys. If you want to know what your wife's going to look like in 20 years, look at her mom. Okay, there it is. If you want to know how she's going to handle the kids, look at her mom. You are so blessed. But if you want to know how she thinks and reasons, look at her father. Because daughters are smart. And no woman said a thing. I'm telling you, you guys are... mm. Anyways, without water, there is no life. So she points out, hey, husband, that's the piece of land. Go ask dad for that land. Because she knows that on that land, there are two sources of water. Two. Even if something happens to the first, the second one will support life. And she knows that if she's going to bless her husband, she has to make him separate from her father. He can't live in her shadow. So she says, get this land, and here's water on it. Now, it's interesting later that Jeremiah, in chapter 2, says this. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. In the desert, if you don't have a spring, you dig a cistern, it's a large, deep pit, you line it with clay and lime, and it will hold water. As long as it's full of water, you have life. It's sometimes stagnant water, a little bit nasty, but water is life. Here's the thing in the desert. If you ever let your cistern go dry, it will crack. If it cracks, it won't hold water, and you are in trouble. 
What is this dry cistern that Jeremiah is talking about? It is religion. It is vain, man-centered, efforted religion. It's doing what you are told to do, doing when you are told to do it, how you are told to do it. It's basically the religion of the world. The world tells you how to live. I mean, I love all these coexist stickers. I just love, every time I see one, I want to walk up and go, can we talk about this sticker? Because you really have got an issue with this thing. Those coexist stickers, all religions are the same. That is a dry, cracked cistern because it won't hold the water of life. It won't get you to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's something that, as the church, we need to hold up and stand on, because that's the truth of it. See, Jeremiah said it. You have God who is living water. In the desert, if you have a spring on your land, you will live. And it doesn't matter about the rains or the dew or the runoff from Mount Hermon, which was huge every year, because you have water. If you have water, you have life. In this world, my friends, you have either one of two kinds of existence. If you have been given the land that God has for you, which is Jesus Christ, on that land you have springs of living water. Remember the woman who comes to Jesus at the well? He says, give me a drink. He says, you have nothing to, to drink with. You have no cup. He says, if you knew who asks you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You would never be thirsty again. And she says, give me that water. You see, you can go to church every week and get filled up with good music and handsome pastors and good food. And See, I got y'all trained. Nobody laughed at that. That was good. You can get filled up and you know how long it will last you? Till tonight. Because as soon as you leave church and somebody cuts you off in the parking lot or you go home and you get a phone call and something's wrong at work, something's wrong with your family, all that temporary joy will drain out of your cracked cistern because you're trying to fill up your life with experiences and experiences drain out the bottom. You see, Aksa was smart. She knew that in order to live separately, she needed eternal water. She needed water that never quit. These artesian wells never go dry because they start in the deepest part of the earth and they come up. If you have Jesus Christ, and that is the foundation of your life, your marriage, your relationships, your work, you will never go dry. If you go dry every week, and every week you find that the further away from Sunday or Bible study you get, the drier and the more surly, the more angry you become, it's because you're living on cisterns, broken cisterns that dry out. As soon as the experience is over, you're done. I encourage you this. If you find that every week by Tuesday, the joy of the Lord is no longer your strength, I encourage you to look at your life and ask yourself the question, do I have the springs of living water in my life? Do I have the joy of the Lord bubbling up inside me? Remember that song you used to do in VBS way back 100 years ago when you were young? Do you still have the joy of the Lord bubbling up inside you? Or as soon as the church experience is done, do you go back to the real world, go back to anger, back to dryness, back to bitterness? If you find yourself changing constantly, something's wrong. Either 
anger or frustration or bitterness has plugged up the spring, and that can happen. If you're a Christian and you have the love of the Lord in you, but things happen to you, and you become bitter and angry and frustrated, or you become jealous of other people or whatever, then that joy can be cut off. If that's true, you need to confess that sin, get rid of it. But if you look at your life, really look at it, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to save you, you've never confessed that sin and been forgiven, then you're living on a dry, cracked cistern that will never hold water. See, that unlike, unlike Aksa, who knew what she needed and asked for it, you, you, you'll go through life without anything. See, Aksa was smart. She went to her father, and she said, give me life-giving water. Give me the life-giving water. And what did he do? Did he give her just enough? Did he give her one spring? He gave her both. He didn't have to do that. He gave her both springs abundantly. And God always gives abundantly to his people. There should be joy in your life no matter what you face. There should be strength and power in your life no matter what's going on. Because that is who we were meant to be in Jesus Christ. So, what has faith brought you? What has faith brought you? If we are believers, if we have experienced Christ, if we have had these victories over these citadels in our lives, is your testimony like Caleb's, one of courage and risk-taking, or do you wait for others to move by faith first? If that's true, then you need to set the example. If your testimony is, I wait for somebody else, and then I join, don't do that. If God puts it on your heart to do it, do it. If God puts it on your heart to call somebody, call them. If God puts it on your heart to give money to a friend who's in trouble, do that. Be sure it's from the Lord and not from guilt, but I mean, do that. Let your life be an example of what others should be, not what others settle for. Second, do you step out in faith by encouraging others to follow Christ? Like Caleb, bless and lift up those who are bold. You see, we need to find the bold people in our church. We need to find the young people. We need to find the middle-aged people. We even need the old people. And we need to encourage them. Stand up. Be strong. Have a voice. Have a testimony. You see, the one thing that we should never have in church is anyone tearing anyone down. Because, you know, Let's say Brother Rich over here gets in, in, into trouble with gambling and stuff. I'm not going to go tear him up. I'm not going to hurt his feelings. I'm going to come and love him, and I'm going to encourage him back. I'm going to walk alongside him. And I'm not going to go over here to David and say, David, have you seen how much money he spends on gambling? I can't believe how much money. I'm not going to do that. You know why? It's not in David's problems. Because David's an alcoholic. He has his own problems. <laughs> Just joking. Neither guy has problems. Well, actually, no, I'm not going to say that. Anyways... The truth is, my responsibility as a believer is to go to someone and say, you are hurting, let me love you. You are timid, let me encourage you. You are struggling, let me walk with you through that. That's why the church has so many talented people in it. Have you ever wondered why there's so many talented people in our church? Because I'm only one guy. Incredible, yes. But only one guy. You guys are there to love each other. When I'm gone, you have three amazing deacons who are available to answer your questions, to pray with you, and to walk with you. But guess what? Ladies, you are surrounded by amazing women, amen? 
my wife's only one woman. And I told you when I came here. They said, well, what's your, what's your wife's duty in the church? I said, to keep me happy. And as you can see, she does a good job. Her only job is to please me. Okay, and take care of the kid. The fact that she does worship team, because God leads her to. The fact that she helps out Lenny with, with the youth ministry, it's because God leads her to. Well, that and a lot of parents ask her for help. So she answers the cry for help. When someone says, can you help my child? She says yes. Or when it goes to the women's ministry, Sister Katrina is struggling to keep up with all the responsibilities, being pregnant and everything. So she steps in to help there. I mean, so she's only one person. She can't do it all. She can't be there for everybody. But every one of you live by somebody, and you can be there for them. Amen? If you are in a Bible study, you have a Bible study leader, you need to pray and love and support that person. Amen? If someone is learning how to be a Bible study leader, pray even more for them. Because we need those leaders. And every one of us can help others out. You know, we can encourage the worship team. We can encourage the sound crew back there. We can encourage our junior deacons who do a great job. Thank you very much. I see you both back there. Yes. And we're going to have more of those. We have more, we have more junior servants on the way. Just shake your head, brother. Yes, because you know it's coming. Okay. And they're going to learn how to serve, but they're not going to learn it just from me. They're going to learn it by watching you, watching how you serve, looking at what you do. You're the example. You are Caleb, and that over there is Othniel. You need to be that example. Ladies, you need to be the example for Aksa as to what kind of woman you want her to be. So that's the number second, that's number, number two point. And the third is like this. Like Aksa, ask for what you need to prosper in the place God has given you. God rewards those who diligently seek him. We all know that scripture. Aksa was not afraid to go to her father and ask for what she needs. Have you asked for what you need? Have you asked for courage? Have you asked for wisdom? Have you asked for the opportunity to impact people's lives? The greatest thing about what I do is I change people's lives. This week we had a visitor. This was a young lady that we knew in Montana. You think of Montana, you think of a bunch of cowboys running around, okay? We had this really unusual church. We had all these cowboys, and the center aisle of our church was brown. I'll leave it to your imagination why boots turn the carpet brown. Anyways, in that church of all of these white cowboy people, we had one little black lady. <laughs> and Sister Holly was amazing. She was there working, and we had one Chinese couple. It just in the middle of nowhere, you don't expect that, but there they are. And she came to see us, and it's been seven years since we saw her. I can't even remember what it was. It's been seven years, and we sat down, and we talked. And the fact that she came, and she told my wife, you encouraged me. You helped me. You built me up. I and mean, I, was, I was doing my thing, so, you know, I left it up to her. But that says a lot about a person's ministry. I still have people that call me from the churches we've served in before. We even have people from Taiwan, and that was... 20 years ago, that's a blessing to know that you can impact people's lives. Right now, church, be honest with yourself. Who have you impacted? Who have you changed? Who have you blessed and encouraged? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you give us the chance to build people up. 
Father, thank you that you give us the chance to bless people. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just ask you to penetrate every heart here. Father God, pierce every spirit. Father God, you alone know who we were meant to be, what we were meant to be, how we were meant to live our lives, and how we were meant to impact our community. Father God, I know that there are leaders here. Father God, strengthen them. I know that there are those here with skills and talents they have not used. Maybe they're afraid, Father. Maybe they need to see an example of courage. Help us all learn to step forward, to build each other up, to strengthen each other, to to lift each other up. And Father, I just pray that in the year ahead, this church together will become strong and whole and united and powerful, and that every person who comes in that door is going to know that they are loved, that they are appreciated, not judged, not looked down on, not cast out, but just loved and welcomed into this place so they can become part of the kingdom. Father, bring us the Othniels. Bring us the Aksas. And Father, lift up our Caleb's to be an example to the next generation. Father, if there's one person here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, if there's one person in this room who is living on a dry, cracked cistern, God, break them today. Break their heart. Let them know that they do not have eternal life, that there is no spring of water inside them, that they have not been filled up with your blessed Holy Spirit. Father, today, bring them to yourself. Lord, bring them as, as, as they cry out to you. Father, there's no secret words. There's no magical phrases. It's just in saying that we need you to save us. We need you to be our God, and we need you to strengthen us and use us in the days ahead. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team comes, let's stand up and